Josh's Air It Out podcast. My name is Juan Goring, and I'm in a room filled with analysts. I got Avery Collins on the line. I got Chris Thomas on the line. I got Jerome Jones producing behind the glass. What is up, everybody? What is up? Hey, what's up? All right. Ah, man. It's, it's been quite, quite an eventful week in the NFL. Uh, not not just with free agency and trading and cuts, but also we got a little bit of sports news in the pop culture scene. J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, the singer from the Bronx, has earned her fifth ring, guys. Her fifth engagement ring, that is. Uh, she has been officially linked with Alex Rodriguez in engagement. So let me just say this right now. Is it kind of weird to know that there's someone out there who has more rings than most Hall of Fame quarterbacks? Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Avery summed it up perfectly. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing all these memes online about how J-Lo only needs one more ring to catch up with Tom Brady and with most rings in history. And same thing with Jordan. So let me ask you guys, what's more impressive, winning, winning five Super Bowls or getting engaged five times? Winning five Super Bowls. Getting engaged five times. All right. Uh, both of you defend positions. Avery, why is winning Super Bowl is more impressive? I mean, come on. It's the Super Bowl. It's hard. Like, it's it's not it's not an easy feat to do. Five Super Bowls is not an easy feat to do. If it was, everybody would do it. J-Lo is not the first person to get engaged five times. So it clearly tells you that that's more common than somebody getting five rings. Tom Brady's not the first person to get five rings either. I know that. I would but, I mean, it's more rare to get five Super Bowl rings than it is to get engaged five times. That's what I'm saying. So, that's clearly the harder feat. Chris, what do you think, man? Um, I think getting engaged five times is a lot more harder because you would think after the first time you get married, there would be a lot of massive red flags that will defer people from pursuing not only a long-term relationship, but also engaging you trying to commit to the rest of your life for you. The fact that you're having five people in your lifetime trying to commit to you and four of them didn't work out the first four times, that's a feat of itself. I, I will say this, Chris, it is J-Lo. I mean, come on. Like, when you, when you want to, I mean, it's J-Lo. I mean, I'll take the baggage. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, when that doesn't work out, hopefully I'm number six. But still, it's still an impressive feat in of itself. Uh, I will say, I do think that she will surprise Tom Brady. I will say that. <laughs> oh, one more thing for you guys. You know, with Super Bowl rings and engagement rings, has always come a partner or opponent that comes with it. So, which do you think is easier to name? J-Lo's five uh, engagement partners or quarterbacks that Tom Brady beat in the first five seasons? Hmm. All the, all the quarterbacks that Tom Brady beat in the Super Bowl. Can you name them right now? Absolutely not. <laughs> Matt Ryan. Okay, here we go. Matt Ryan. Who's uh, Jared Goff? Uh, who was the? Who was that Panthers quarterback? Was that Jake Delone? Mm-hmm. Was that him? Yep. The quarterback then. Um, that's all I got. All right, Chris. Can you name the rest? Um, Kurt Warner, Jake Delone, Donovan. Oh, Gap. Arthur Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, and Jared Goff. Yep. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this podcast just went sideways. You think for Chris, Chris Googled it. Chris Googled it. No, no, I didn't. Divorce podcast. Enough, enough with J Lo. She got another spotlight from the New York Post as it is. Let's take it down to the rundown. The rundown. To kick things off, um, the Arizona Cardinals have signed veteran linebacker Terrell Suggs to a one year deal. The former Super Bowl champion and 2011's Defensive Player of the Year spent 15 years with the Ravens. Suggs went to high school and college in Arizona. So it's full circle for the future Hall of Fame sack master. Patriots are bringing back an old bruiser at running back with free with free agent running back Brandon Bolden. Bolden was an undrafted free agent when he joined the Pats in 2012. He spent last year with the Miami Dolphins. When news broke of Bolden's return, Tom Brady, on his Instagram account, commented on Bolden's account saying, F yeah, on post. NFL free agent safeties are seeing the green this offseason. The biggest paychecks include Landon Collins' six-year $84 million deal with Washington Redskins, Kenny Vercaro's four-year $26 million deal with the Titans, and Earl Thomas's four-year $55 million deal with the Ravens. On a side note, Thomas reported that cornerback Marlon Humphreys agreed to give Thomas his jersey number 29 in exchange for a donation to Humphreys' sister softball team, while Collins hopes to wear 21 for Washington and to honor the late safety, Sean Taylor. In surprising releases, the Chiefs have let go of the former All-Pro safety, Eric Berry. In 2017, Berry signed a six-year, $78 million deal with the Chiefs for sustaining a significant Achilles injury in week one of the 2017 season. The NFL has come down hard on running back Kareem Hunt, as Ian Rappaport tweeted out that Hunt will be suspended for the first eight games in the of the 2019 season. Hunt was involved in a 2018 domestic violence case at a Cleveland hotel. He was released by the Chiefs in November 2018 and signed with the Browns this past February. A return for the gridiron for the law firm is set as cornerback Dominique Rogers Cromartie is joining the Washington Redskins on a one-year deal. DRC is, a, is the second giant to join Washington this offseason alongside safety Landon Collins. And in a bit of breaking news, the Miami Dolphins have traded quarterback Ryan Tannehill and a 2019 sixth-round pick in exchange for a 2019 seventh-round pick and a 2024th-round pick. So the remaining quarterbacks on the Dolphins roster are Jake Rudolph and Luke Falk. And that concludes the rundown. Uh, now, guys, before we move on to our topic for today, any quick reaction from anything I just read out? Uh, uh, Avery, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, man. Um, I mean, for me, it's really the Kareem Hunt situation. Like, I was actually shocked that um, he got eight games, only eight games, I should say. Um, so that that was a little bit shocking to me. But then I, after the initial shock wore off, I kind of sat there and I thought, I'm like, wow. That means that, you know, the Cleveland Browns offense is going to have Baker Mayfield, Kareem Hunt, Duke Johnson, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and David Njoku. And I'm just like, I'm wondering what defenses are going to do with that. So um, it should be interesting to, to see. But, yeah, that that's that's pretty much the one that shocks me the most. All right, Chris, what do you got? It's a head-scratcher. Uh, the move to trade for Ryan Tannehill to the Tennessee Titans. 
Because if your plan is just to have him as a backup, I mean, anybody's a better backup than Blaine Gabbert. But that's a $12 million backup for Marcus Mariota, who still hasn't had, who still hasn't been able to put a full 16-game healthy season together. Uh, Mike Vrabel did a very good job last year, given all the circumstances and injuries, but I'm kind of shocked by this move. Would it help to know that like, Tannehill's only guaranteed $7 million and only gets 12 if he plays? I get, yeah. I mean, you've seen Teddy Bridgewater also get $7 million fully guaranteed to be Drew Brees' backup, so that does help. But I don't know if the plan is if Tannehill's going to be the guy going forward or it's just something to light, light a fire under Mariota to play better. It's just a weird situation to me. Well, it's surprising to a lot of people that they didn't wait for Tannehill to be released. Uh, they just traded for him. Uh, why trade for a backup when you can just pick him up cheap on the market? I mean, the question is, is is he going to be a backup? I understand that Mariota is the younger guy. He's uh, essentially the, the the more talented guy. Um, but at the end of the day, if they bring him in and, you know, he has a camp where he shows that he's, even remotely better, I don't think he will, but if, if he shows that he's even remotely better, um, you got to think that the Titans might look to move on from Mariota just for the fact, you know, to Chris's point, he hasn't played a you know, full 16-game season. Granted, Tannehill is no better in that regard, but um, if you can upgrade the position, if they feel that it's an upgrade, then um, I think that's really what it, what it is. Or maybe it could just be a situation where they're trying to light some fire under Mariota. And then, like I said before, I think it's a situation where, and I've been, I've said this about Ryan Tannehill, I always say it about Ryan Tannehill, I think he's a very, I think he's a solid quarterback, but I think he's going to be a great coach. I think he's going to be a a phenomenal coach. I think he's one of those, um, one of those players who just transitions well into coaching, and I think maybe this could be a move. Uh, Maybe they're, they're bringing in to obviously be a backup, but also to kind of show show Mariota some of the things that he knows, the techniques and different things like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Tennessee Titans quarterback situation, something to look forward to in the coming training camps uh, for 2019. Now, let's jump into today's first topic. Avery touched upon a little bit earlier when we were concluding the rundown. It's, of course, the Cleveland Browns acquiring Odell Beckham Jr. from the New York Giants. Now, this was a bit of a weird situation not a lot of people saw it coming officially we can say that nfl reporter jake laser proposed the idea although a lot of people called him out and said he was crazy well eh, he's laughing in a he's he's laughing right now at a bar in california looking saying who's crazy now um so the terms of the trade are pretty simple in in exchange for getting odell beckham jr um the giants receive a first and a third round pick Jabril Peppers, they also trade away Olivier Vernon. The Giants get a boost on offensive line, a safety to, quote-unquote, replace Landon Collins, an additional first-round pick, a third-round pick, and uh, a fifth-round pick that they originally traded away for Zeitler, um, but got back when the OBJ trade went down. So, gentlemen, there are huge ramifications to this trade. There's so much to go into. I want to get the mic first. Uh, to Chris to see his reaction. Uh, what do you think is like the biggest fallout for this trade? For the first time in 16 years, the Cleveland Browns has made a move to finally get them back into the playoffs. I think now with the addition of Odell Beckham, 
uh, Avery touched on it earlier. Odell Beckham, uh, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, a potential two-headed monster in um, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt when he gets off suspension, if you keep Duke Johnson or not. Baker Mayfield broke a lot of rookie records last year in playing three less games. And that's the message everybody talks about. They need to upgrade the defense. Their defense has rounded out well. You still got Miles Garrett, who's a number one overall pick for a reason. Um, you added Sheldon Richardson. Uh, Denzel Ward, um, rookie last year from Ohio State, he played himself into a Pro Bowl uh, caliber corner. Uh, you still got Demarius Randall. Obviously, you still want to add a few more pieces to that back end. Uh, especially now that uh, Joe Brill Peppers is gone in, you were thinking about probably getting Earl Thomas, but he decided to go to Baltimore. But I'm looking at the AFC North right now, and it looks like to me the Browns' division to lose. Uh, the Bengals are sitting on their hands doing absolutely nothing. The Steelers gave away probably the top two best uh, players in their premier positions, and they only got a third and a fifth round pick to show for it. And Ben Roethlisberger is getting older. The defense is fine, but it's not the Joey Porter, James Furrier, Steel Curtain that they were used to in the mid-2000s to help carry that offense. And then they're still Baltimore. Their defense is still phenomenal, but in year two, that read option offense with Lamar Jackson is eventually going to catch up to him because Lamar Jackson needs to progress as a better passer in order for them to, to accumulate more success. How, when I look at the Browns, and I may be jumping the gun, but this is legit. Um, Freddie Kitchens uh, knows how Baker Mayfield is going to be skiing, knows the plays that he likes. Uh, and I'm excited. Cleveland has a reason to be excited. This is the best Cleveland Browns football team in a very long time, probably the best Cleveland sports team that they've had in a very long time. And I wouldn't be surprised if they break that 16-year drought, which is the longest still in the NFL, before that, it was the Buffalo Bills before their playoff push two seasons ago. But I'm excited for them. I hope they make the playoffs. And if any fan base deserves a playoff home game, it's definitely the Cleveland Browns. You had a celebration rule in 0-16. Those fans definitely deserve better. Uh, Avery, <clears throat> we just heard Chris talk about the positives from the trade and what, to, what the high expectations are. What do you perceive to be any lows or what are some negatives that can come from this? Okay, I think I think that um, if you're going to point to any negatives, like on the Cleveland side, the only thing that I can think of, and, and it's not really a negative, it's kind of just one of those in-between type things. It depends on how you perceive it. But uh, the only thing that I can think of, on, like I said, on our side would be pressure, added pressure. You know, you add a weapon like Odell Beckham. you got, you know, the backfield they've got. They, you already got Jarvis Landry. You know, Baker Mayfield is expected to – continue to improve um the defense like i said like or to chris's point um they're they're a solid defense um so if they can they, if they can play well they'll, they'll definitely be in some games and i agree that um they're my, my my pick to win that division as well but i think the only negative would be pressure you know that with the with, the, with those pieces you would expect them to win the division you would expect them to go out and go ahead and, and, and make the playoffs and not just make the playoffs, but actually be a legit threat to, to, to be scary in the playoffs. So I think that's the only negative that I can think of if you want to view it that way. But as far as negative fallout, I mean, it's really on the, the Giants end, of course, in this in this trade, um, simply because you, you get rid of your most productive offensive player um, over the last four or five seasons. 
uh, outside of, you know, the season that Saquon had last year, um, you take away one of, you know, Eli's um, biggest weapons, you know, and it's a signification that they're clearly looking to move on and probably rebuild. However, um, the question still remains, and why is Eli still there? But at the same time, um, I think that it's just uh, it's a situation where the, the Giants are just out of it for me. Like I don't I don't see them contending in any way, shape, or form. Not only in you know in general, but just in the division. I mean, it looks like to me. Um, you know, they possibly could be in, sitting in a position that the Browns were in two years ago. Not as bad, but just being one of the worst teams in the NFL. Um, granted, like I said, the only the only thing that I can think of that might save them in that regard would be Saquon, but he'd have to play out of his mind in order to do so. And, um, you know, he, he needs help. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think that the Giants are going to be good for, for a while. All right. Well, Jerome, um, you're the you're the third party outsider here uh, in regards to how you see this. We heard the good side and the bad side. Now, just your side, man. Um, quick opinion, <laughs> man. What do you think? All right. First of all, initially hearing the trade, I was like, "What?" Like it totally blindsided me. You know, as a football fan, I think most people have that reaction, even if you kind of expected it. It's still the fact that it went through. Everybody was like, what? Like, come on, like a top. You got two of the top three wide receivers leaving their initial team and going to a new team. Like, in the same week, it was incredible. It was crazy. I was stuck to the TV for like a good 30 minutes. I couldn't talk or move. I was just like stuck. For the Browns, they I, I think they absolutely won this trade. They got a key piece to their offense. The whole issue with Odell being... Um, cancer in the locker room i don't think that's gonna be an issue because now he got his uh buddy over there with uh jarvis landry i think uh, um cat room no issue with that because you know browns have a lot of cat room they traded away a first round pick a third round pick and jerome jabril preppers um personally which i'm sad about being a michigan fan but besides that um i think that it was a good trade for the browns i mean who wouldn't want a premier wide receiver like that and only give up a first and a third and a player that yeah Jabril Preppers was a good player but he wasn't really fitting in that much and he still have a lot of growth to go through and I'm saying this as a Michigan fan I absolutely love Jabril Preppers um, but he still have a lot of growth so why not do that trade and you get a proven wide receiver you you helping your quarterback out I think the the Browns completely won that trade for the Giants I feel like it helped them in a way because I, I do believe they're rebuilding and they're trying to change how their offense is. They're they're going to go straight through um, Barkley. You can, you can see it. They bolstering their offensive line, trading their best receiver, and I think that's the reason why they keep in Eli because Eli won't have to throw it as much now. They can He could just pretty much just give the ball. I mean, I don't agree with the philosophy. I think you still need good receivers, but – to me, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. They're trying to give Saquon 25 to 30 touches a game. And I think that's how they're going to run their offense. And they're, they're just kind of trying to rebuild that defense. So I, I think that's the, the way they're going. Whether it's a good trade or a bad trade, one thing is for certain, there is a change in the landscape in the NFL for good and for bad. If the, should the Cleveland Browns make it out of the AFC North with 
the division title in 2019, they will end their playoff drought and reestablish themselves as some of the best, as as one of the best teams in the AFC. While the Giants general manager David Gettleman said he has a plan, we'll see that plan unfold within the coming two, next two to three years. Now, a lot of people would say that this, like we said, a lot of people would say that this was both a good and a bad trade, but it wasn't the only trade. Furthermore, it wasn't the only transaction that happened. So, uh, I want to move on to the next topic of the discussion, which is your guys' thoughts on the best and the worst signings of this NFL offseason. Uh, I want to get mine out of the way really quick. Actually, no, I will not. I want to actually start off uh, with Avery on this one. Avery, your best and worst signing. Go. I think, for me, the best signing, if this is going to sound weird, <laughs> this is going to sound very strange because it's back up, but I think, um, Teddy Bridgewater is free signing with the Saints. I think that was um, one of the best signings, not necessarily for the Saints, but for Teddy Bridgewater. I think it's a situation where now he can continue to learn, again, from a veteran quarterback. He can continue to work with a, a, an experienced head coach who knows offenses and knows how to get good, not not just good, own great things from, the, from that position. So as well as the winning culture there, um, they're, they're – a legitimate threat to come out of the NFC, so it's a possibility that you know, depending on how the season plays out next year, he could you know end up being a on a team that you know makes a Super Bowl run. So I think that for Teddy Bridgewater, because I'm a fan of the guy, I think that was a, a really good signing. I'm glad he stayed. Uh, there were reports that he was uh, meeting with Miami, and now with Tannehill out, out, I see why. But you know, like I said I think that it was it was great for him to stay there. For me, um, as far as the worst signing, I think I'm going to have to go with, okay, you know, it's not the worst. It's just the most surprising to me because um, I, don't, I don't think anything was, I don't think there was a, a bad signing that I've seen so far, but as far as the one that was the most surprising, Earl Thomas to Baltimore. That was very shocking to me. I wasn't expecting him to land in Baltimore. I really, really did expect him to end up. Um, you know, in Dallas or something like that, maybe even in San Francisco. But um, for him to end up in Baltimore, that was kind of that wasn't on my radar. I wasn't expecting that um, for that to happen. So that's probably the most shocking to me. All right, Chris, what do you, what, what do you think were your best and worst or surprising signings of the offseason? Best signing, I would have to say Nick Foles to Jacksonville. I think. Simply because everybody knew that it was going to happen. It was essentially in the works when Nick Foles voided his contract and the Eagles said they weren't going to franchise tag him. When you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars last year, I mean, nothing really changed except for how terrible that offense was. You had Leonard Fournette missing games. Uh, their offensive, their, their blindsides um, left tackle, Cam Robinson got hurt for the year. And Blake Bortles was just absolutely horrible. When you look at this team, you look at the defense that they have with Calais Campbell, Jalen Ramsey, Barry Church, Telvin Smith, and you also look at the offensive pieces that they have, Leonard Fournette when he's healthy, and a bunch of young wide receivers. None of them are true number ones, but uh, a team that has like a Keelan Cole, a D.D. Westbrook, a D.J. Sharp, pretty good weapons. You need a quarterback in which that's going to bring the best out of them. And I think Nick Foles at Jacksonville, he's also being paired up with his former offensive coordinator, John DeFilippo, in, J- in Jacksonville. So DeFilippo was on that staff, which Nick Foles took over 
for Carson Wentz, and they won the Super Bowl two seasons ago. So Filippo has a history and knowledge firsthand on how to call the game for Nick Foles, and he knows exactly what makes Nick Foles tick and how to, you know, assess and, you know, scheme defenses out and play to his strengths. So I think that was a really good signing, and I think if Nick Foles plays up to par in terms of competent quarterback level, just better than what Blake Bortles is able to do, I think Jacksonville could be definitely be back in that AFC South title picture. And the worst signing, or most surprising signing, I'm just going to go and say, I'm going to say Le'Veon Bell to the New York Jets. Um, I did not see that coming at all. Um, I just assumed that he was going to go to Baltimore because it was still in the division. He has an opportunity to show up the Pittsburgh Steelers twice a year. I thought Oakland, because Oakland had the cast space, and he was going to get once again paired up with his best buddy, and Antonio Brown, or or even Chicago. Chicago freed up $11 million with a restructured uh, Khalil Max contract. So I thought, at the very least, he would try to pick a contender. But he picked the New York Jets. Shout-outs to him. He got $25 million more guaranteed signing with the New York Jets than he would have with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the Jets aren't just ready to contend yet. I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Darnold, but Adam Gase is one of the more underrated quarterback whispers in the league. So if this is more about uh, year two for Sam Darnold and his progression with Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nuga, and anybody else that they could potentially bring in in that wide receiver fold, then maybe this could work out. But it's a confusing signing because the Jets aren't anywhere near the contend for a playoff spot yet. Chris trying to upset Juan right here, huh? <laughs> yeah, I have my doubts about it too. Not in that sense, more about the personality of Le'Veon Bell. Um, but eh, I mean, I got a playmaker, I got a name, and I got a young quarterback that can grow with it. So we'll see how it goes. My opinion, really quick, my best, the best free agency signing that I saw has to be the Tyron Matthew signing to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs had issues with that secondary uh, all year last year. They couldn't defend worth a damn. Uh, I mean, trading your key uh, cornerback to the Los Angeles Rams didn't really help make that secondary any better, and the injury to Eric Berry wasn't um, as helpful either. So to see someone as versatile and knowledgeable and such a high motor as Tyron Matthew going over to a Chiefs defense who might be lacking in pass rushers but could see an improvement with the new defensive coordinator, I'm really looking forward to. In terms of the worst rating signing, I'm going to give it to uh, Trent Brown and the Oakland Raiders. We've all saw what happened with Nate Solder, uh, who was a former New England Patriot. He got the biggest contract for an offensive tackle in 2018, and now we see Trent Brown break that record for 2019. Is it could be that both Solder and Brown were products of the Patriot system and that they're only good at the protection scheme because of how it was planned out. So to see money be shelled out for these kinds of players, you know, good for them, but it's a, it's, it's a little worrisome. You know, there's system quarterbacks and system running backs, but there's also system offense alignment. And we'll see how well Brown can actually protect Derek Carr come the 2019 season. All right. And I'm moving on to our final topic 
update. It's the weekly segment that we always do. It's the it's a team needs. This time we're covering the NFC North. Uh, first, uh, of course, that includes the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions, and the Minnesota Vikings. So, um, Avery, kick off with you, man. Uh, can you give me the team needs for the Detroit Lions and tell me who you think should uh, fill those needs? Um, so I think um, team needs are obviously on the defensive side of the ball for me. I think that, you know, that's really what's, what's been, been hurting. That, well, I mean, not, not the only thing, but one of the glaring things for the last couple of years is their defense hasn't been playing very well. And it looks like they're going to let uh, Ezekiel Ansah, you know, go ahead and walk. Um, with that being said, I think that they need to solidify that position. And this is going to sound weird because they're, they're the same age, but we've obviously seen, seen more production from the guy that I think they should sign, and that that would be Justin Houston. Um, I think that he would uh, be, be a good fit in there. Um, I think he still has a little bit left, obviously contrary to popular belief, but I think that he's, I think he's pretty well. I think another one is um, uh, I, I would like to see them sign somebody like Bryce Callahan. Um, the corner from the Chicago Bears. He's also a, uh, a free agent. He's 27, so he's right in the prime of his career. Um, do I think he's the number one? No, but I think he's a solid number two guy. I think he can um, play very well uh, in, in their system. And I think, like I said, for me, uh, I think that just right now I would I'd be thinking about building that defense up. So for, for the Detroit Lions, that, that's what I'm seeing there. Um, now for the Vikings, um, I'm thinking that they should sign Indomitian Sue. And the reason being, I just feel like that's what their calling card is right now is their defense. Um, I don't, I don't think anybody finds them to be a threat offensively at the moment. Um, but I think that nobody wants to go against that defense. And I think if you add somebody like Indomitian Sue, um, it just, it just helps even more. Right, so I think that if you add somebody, a veteran guy who can come in, he still is effective. He's not, um, you know, the player he used to be, but definitely can still get some things done. Um, I think you can bring him in, and then I'm saying on the, you know, defensive side of the ball again. I think Eric Berry would be a great fit. Um, somebody who can kind of because they they haven't had a safety who's um, been able to kind of be like a ball hawk. I'm not saying that Eric Berry is an Earl Thomas type ball hawk, but he can fly around back there as well. Um, I think it also will help in keeping his career, um, you know, or, 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 or you know, uh, elongating his career um, and prolonging his career just because of the fact that he won't have to go in the box as much because um, they'll have Harrison Smith to take up that portion of um, of the field. So um, I would like to see that. I'm a huge fan of Barry Barry. I think everybody is. Um, everybody roots for him, so I would definitely like to see him get another chance and, more importantly, be uh, continuing to stay on the team that uh, has the potential to be a contender. So um, that's, that's what I'm saying there. All right, all right. Uh, moving on to the other two teams in the NFC, North's Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. Chris, what do you got for me, man? The Green Bay Packers, um, I think a lot of what happened last year what happened on the week one, ironically against the Chicago Bears. I think Aaron Rodgers never fully recovered from that week one injury, and it really took a major hamper on that offense. 
and also the inciting that potentially him and Mike McCarthy had, which led to Mike McCarthy getting fired after after going four and seven, four seven and one to start the season. Um, for Green Bay, uh, I like what they're doing so far in the offseason. You got Preston Smith and you got Zadarius Smith from Baltimore to upgrade to pass rush. Um, I like what they're doing in their secondary right now. I'm not that big on the Adrian Amos signing, but they have done an excellent job throughout the past two years um, upgrading their secondary with uh, with young corners, Jaria Alexander, Kevin King, Josh Jackson. Um, I think you should just get Clay Matthews back. Um, Clay Matthews, um, he isn't the player like he once was. He wasn't the the he isn't the 2012 Clay Matthews, even the 2013 Clay Matthews. But what he means to the locker room as the emotional leader, the guy on defense calling the shots, it doesn't hurt to have that veteran leadership in that locker room. But as far as the offensive side of the ball, I think you need to find a way to incorporate some young offensive linemen depth to keep Aaron Rodgers upright. Because the amount of money that you're committed to Aaron Rodgers uh, for the next several years, it's a, definitely a president that you have to keep him upright and healthy. I think in this scheme now with Matt LaFleur, who's more of a run-first play caller, him, uh, Aaron Jones should definitely be a lot more featured. But these are also looking to getting also another running back in there because I'm not that big of a fan of Jamal Williams also. So you get another running back also – to split the carries with Aaron Jones, then that should definitely help out Aaron Rodgers tremendously. As far as Chicago goes, they went 12 and 4 last year. They really don't really need anything. That front seven is absolutely stout with Roquan Smith, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Floyd, just playmakers all everywhere around. They led the league in turnovers, you know, the whole club dub. Um, I think on offense, you can potentially look to get another uh, playmaking wide receiver out there. He spent a lot of money on Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson really didn't start to get going until later in the year and, and that wildcard matchup against Philadelphia. Um, I'm not a fan of, not that big of a fan of Anthony Miller or Taylor Gabriel. Those are really good number two slot. Um, you just need another playmaker on the outside to give, give Mitch Trubisky some sort of confidence throwing it on the outside. And also, possibly getting another running back. There's been major talk about them trying to replace Jordan Howard and just riding out with Tariq Cohen because Jordan Howard really doesn't fit the scheme anymore and up for a contract. So there's really not a lot of needs that Chicago needs to fill. Um, you lost Adrian Amos, Bryce Callahan is still the free agent, but you still have Eddie Jackson and a bunch of other guys who are ready to step up um, in their place. So that's my analysis of Chicago. All right, guys. Well, that concludes uh, free agent needs in the NFC North. Next week, we'll tackle free agency needs in the NFC West. And that will just about do it for us here at the uh, Air Down Podcast. Thank you uh, for checking us out. Remember, you can check out all our content on InsideTheHashes.com. Follow us on our social media. On Facebook, we are Inside the Hashes. On Twitter, we are at InsideHashes. And on Instagram, we are at Inside the Hashes. And for the podcast itself, we all have our, our social media handles for Instagram. It's the Aerodot Podcast. And for Twitter, it's the Aerodot Podcast as well. So thank you guys for listening. I was Juan Guarín. You were listening to Chris Thomas, Avery Collins, and Jerome Jones. See y'all later. <laughs>